and we live together among a people of unclean lips and soiled hearts. And there is a great divide between a holy God and an unrighteous people that has been bridged by Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who makes us righteous before God, acceptable to you. So Lord, we just come together this morning to just celebrate the amazing thing that Christ Jesus has done for us. I pray that our hearts would be inclined to respond to your word today. We've had great opportunity to worship you in song and praise and prayer, in fellowship together. But now, Father, as we sit in your presence with your word before us, I pray, Lord, that we will recognize that the King of Kings makes promises to us that he keeps. And may these promises, Lord, that you keep encourage and strengthen our hearts. Oh, Lord, we need your strength. We need your help. We need your healing. We need your touch. We need your forgiveness. We need you to give to us every breath we breathe because you are the life giver. And so, Lord, it is to you that we pray, to you that we, we respond, to you we worship. And we do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So by whose authority do I speak to you today? I think you know. I speak to you only by the authority of Jesus Christ who commissions us to share the good news with each other. Me to you, you to others. And so we have good authority to share the truth with each other. And we are people who live and are surrounded by a truth crisis, which is not a new thing because in fact, the truth crisis began in the Garden of Eden when Satan himself became the father of lies. And rejection of the truth, of course, is eternally fatal. And so when we have this opportunity to be together and to hear the truth, we must respond to it. Rejection of the truth puts you in collision with God delivers you into the evil of sin. And all around us, people who well, call themselves clever people are seeking to dismantle truth with cunning ways. When there are conflicting stories, they suggest that, well, we're just experiencing the truth differently. Others are defining the truth differently. Did God really say this or that? We, it has been said, live in a post-truth time. But that's not new either. 
Pilate, when he was interrogating Jesus just before Calvary, asked that question, what is truth? Thereby indicating that he himself was not speaking with the truth. He had no truth in him. And today around us, it is believed by governments and authorities that truth is to be controlled, to be censored, to be kept away from us, because after all, we can't handle the truth. Or maybe it's because some people don't want the consequences of the truth. But Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus declared, my witness is true. He went on to say in John chapter 8, follow me, and you won't walk in darkness, but the light of life. It is to that that I want to turn our attention to today because one of the dangerous teachings and beliefs that was circulating around in the early church, the church at the time of the Apostle John, was the notion that you could enjoy fellowship with God and also live an unrighteous life. That you could have God and your sin too. To which John writes in his first epistle, First John, John 1, 6, if we claim that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John? It's really near the end of your New Testament. 1 John, I want to look at something, a few things there this morning as we continue our promise series. It was suggested at the time of John that sin was no big deal. It's suggested in our day that sin is no big deal. If sin is no big deal to God, then Jesus' death was unnecessary. Think about that. But we know that sin is a big deal to God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, uh, loose and free with what John said, if we claim sin is no big deal to God, we are denying it exists in us. By denying it exists in us, we make him out to be a liar. And in verse 8, it says, and the truth is not in us. We don't even have the truth to say something like that. This kind of thing is creeping into evangelical churches, which we thought would never happen. None of us would have expected that churches would suggest that you can have sin and have fellowship with God too. However, we know that Christ's death was necessary because sin is a big deal to God. And we now have this spectacular reality that I want to talk to you about this morning called forgiveness. It's a most amazing thing. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shall make you free. We have this amazing truth called forgiveness that 
comes to us because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. The shed blood of Jesus. In fact, John insists, Apostle John, the one that Jesus loved, insists that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God and one another. So we know that sin will either damn you through denial or bury you under crippling shame and guilt if you don't receive this word or if you do receive it, you receive the joy of forgiveness and being set free by the truth. That's the outcome that we're looking for this morning. To believe this, to receive it, to welcome it, and to experience what forgiveness really means in your day-to-day life. So I am asking the question this morning, are you walking victoriously in this truth? The amazing benefits of forgiveness, the ongoing enjoyment of forgiveness that Jesus offers to you for your sins. So I read with you this morning, 1 John chapter 1. We'll stray a little bit into chapter 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And listen, this is the message we have heard. We have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God. Now, sin is simply defined as missing the mark. It is rejecting or turning away from the truth of God, turning away from his word, rebelling against him, disobeying him. 
That's what sin really is. And John writes this circular letter to refute this dangerous uh, but false religious idea that was floating around in his day concerning the dismantling of truth about sin. And he offers it to us dy dynamically and emphatically. And he, if you notice, he connects fellowship with the forgiveness of sin. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have fellowship with God and not have forgiveness of sin. And you can't have fellowship with one another. You can't have fellowship with God's people and not be experiencing the forgiveness of sin. These two are interconnected. You can't have one without the other. And so he lays out for us here how to enjoy fellowship with God and each other. And, it, and he starts out by saying, sort of saying the question, I think, under his breath, so how can I describe God? And he says in verse 5, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, darkness, of course, is a euphemism for unrighteousness, sinfulness, impurity. When he describes God, he describes him as absolute righteousness, absolute purity. There, there is nothing, there is no darkness whatsoever in God. There is no falsehood in God whatsoever. He is absolutely righteous. He is perfect in righteousness. Nor can he associate with anything that is impure or unrighteous that would defile him, that would change the description of God. He would no longer be light. God is perfect. That's why when Jesus was incarnate, when Jesus came to live among us, the description there was that light has come among us, that light has come into this world to chase away darkness. Jesus said in John 3.19, you don't welcome the light because you love the darkness because your deeds are evil. But John is now talking about how to have fellowship with God. And to those who are saying amongst them that I can have God and have my sin too, he says this in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk, in other words, are living daily in the darkness, in unrighteousness, in disobedience, in rejection of the truth, in rebelliousness, we lie and do not live by the truth or literally do not do the truth. We are, the truth is not activated in our lives. So those who are circulating around in our circles who are suggesting that they can have God and a sinful lifestyle too, are lying. They don't have the truth. They're not doing the truth. You cannot walk in darkness and enjoy fellowship with God. You cannot. The claim that you can is not reality. It seems that there are a numbers of people 
within our circles that may have been converted to the community but were never converted to Christ. They like the idea of Christianity and being immersed in the atmosphere of Christianity and were converted out of their loneliness or whatever to this gathering of people who have to be their friends because that's what we do but were never converted to Christ and so they've dragged they drag their sin along with them and wonder why they don't have fellowship with God or fellowship really with believers they don't really connect they don't really they're not in the same wavelength they don't really get it because they never were converted to Christ the truth is not in them they can't do the truth because they don't have the truth but in verse 7 he says if you keep walking in the light which means believing doing the truth obeying Christ as he is in the light then you can have fellowship with each other and fellowship of course with the father because John makes the point that so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ it's all connected fellowship happens with us because of our fellowship with the father and with the son the Lord Jesus Christ so how are you walking are you walking in the light believing doing obeying furthermore he says a pure and holy God requires a clean righteous people notice at the end of verse 7 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship not only do we have fellowship with one another and fellowship with the father and his son the Lord Jesus Christ but the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin we're actually absolutely cleansed of our sin the cleansing that's only only available through the blood of Jesus Christ that's why in chapter 2 verse 2 it, it declares there that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice big theological word the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours but uh, but but made available for the sins of the whole world Jesus by his death on the cross has made it possible for everyone to come into a relationship with him and his blood the only way that our lives can be cleaned up is through the blood of Jesus Christ Christ's blood is is the expiation what makes amends with God and the propitiation which averts the wrath of God which he must meet out against sin outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ we live in a precarious position under the wrath of God 
with no amends made to God. And this is quite an amazing thing. Literally, we are being told here that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleans us up. Now, there are also some who are teaching false things in our circles as well, who are suggesting that God could simply forgive you. He doesn't need Jesus to die on the cross to do that. That's a complete and utter false statement. And anyone who says that's a false teacher. Because the Bible, you, you've seen it with your own eyes, aren't you? I'm making this up. Do you not see what purifies us? It is the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. In fact, in John, who wrote Revelation as well, just a couple of pages beyond, beyond where you are, writes this very clearly in First John, or Revelation 1, verse 5. When he says this, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. There is no other way to be freed of sins than by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sins are not just a mistake, beloved. Sins will damn you to hell forever, except for the blood of Jesus Christ that will free you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Not only are there some that claim that God could just forgive us, he didn't need to have Jesus die on the cross, but there are some also in our circles who claim that they have been able to reach a sinless perfection and teach that. John says here in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves have you ever met a sinless person? I'm not seeing any takers here, including the person looking at you in the mirror, because there are no sinless people. Jesus Christ alone is the only sinless being that ever walked the face of this earth or ever will. Some people say, well, God loves me just as I am. He loves you, but not just as you are. Some people say, I walk in my truth. Well, that's fine, but you're gonna be held accountable to God's truth. So most of us who've now conceded, I think all of us who've now conceded, that we have sin in our lives, are wondering, well then how can I have fellowship with God? How can we have fellowship with one another? If we're sinning, and you've already said that sin separates us from fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Well, here's the great and amazing promise that we're to look at today. This is one of the greatest promises in the scripture. I know I say that every week. Because all of God's promises are great. 
But next to salvation promise itself, there may be no more sweeping promise for encouraging us and strengthening us than this promise in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or to purify us from all unrighteousness. This is an amazing truth. What do we do when we sin? This. This is what we do when we sin. Since we've already admitted that we're not sinless, here's what we do when we sin that we might walk daily in the light and have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. John would never say we could do something if we couldn't do it. If, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with God. So it's possible that we can walk in, in fellowship with God and one another, but it requires verse 9. So let's unpackage this. Because this isn't so much a condition, although it's written in the form of a condition, as it is an urgent plea from John to say, Beloved, he calls us my dear children, my dear children, I want you to fully benefit from Christ's blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Because some of you aren't by the weird ideas that some people are putting into your minds or the weird ideas that you have yourself. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for you to have an incredible relationship with God that takes care of your sins every single day. And it starts out this way. Confess your sins. If we confess our sins. What's confess mean it means that you agree with God about your sin you view it the same way God views it you see it as wrong you see it as rebellious against God you see it as missing the mark of his righteousness you see it as disobedience whatever you see it the way God sees it, and you agree that it needs to be out of your life. That's what confessing means. And it works. Why does it work? Not because confessing is in anything in and of itself, but because of the works of Jesus, who says it works. It's because Jesus died on the cross for you and shed his blood. And by faith, if you agree with God about your offense, then in fact, God has punished your sin on the cross of Calvary already. That's what you're agreeing to. And it says here that he, if we confess our sins, plural, That's an amazing and encompassing and sweeping truth. Because when we come to God and agree, that our sin, agree with God about our sin, he not only forgives us of that sin, but he forgives us of all of our sins. The ones that are hidden, the ones that maybe we're unaware of. Where do I dig that out of? How about Psalm 19? Psalm 19, verse uh, 12. 
when David is crying out to the Lord and says, who can discern his errors? And then he cries out this, Lord, forgive my hidden faults. There are ways we uh, harm and there are ways we grieve God that we don't even know. There are things we say, things we think that are egregious to God. And when we come and confess our known sin to him, agreeing with him about it, it says here, he forgives our sins, plural. And in the, in the, end, at the end of the verse, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. How important is this? And, and why? Why does he forgive us? John answers, because he is faithful. Because God is faithful. And, and what does that mean? Well, God has already established himself as a God who forgives. When Moses was to encounter God and, and, and he was hidden in the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passed by uh, Moses in Exodus 34 and God declared his glory to Moses, in that declaration, God declared himself as a God who forgives. God has already established that his identity is to be a forgiving God. And so he, in fact, is promising to be faithful to his promise to forgive. That's who God is. But not only is he faithful, and that's why he will forgive you on, upon your confession, but he is just. Forgiving is actually the justification of God. Again, it is who God is because Jesus on the cross paid for your sins. He took your sins to the cross and paid the debt of your sins. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the debt of your sins. And so now it is just, righteous for God to forgive you of your sins. In fact, the great teaching in verse one of chapter two says, you have, and you and I have a righteous advocate. His name is Jesus Christ. He goes before the Father and reminds the Father that he has paid the debt of your sin. So that it is a, a legal, just expectation of God to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus has done for you. He has to forgive you in order to maintain his justice. If God doesn't forgive you of your sin, then he becomes unjust and he is no longer light. This is an, incred this is an incredible legal reality that God has made for himself. That's why God is, right, God is entirely righteous to acquit righteous people and entirely righteous to damn those who refuse his forgiveness. That's what God's justice is all about. And what does forgive mean? Forgive means that God actually no longer holds your sin against you. In fact, the word forgiveness itself, which gains its root from the understanding from the Old Testament, is the word nasah, which means to send away. When you confess your sins to the Lord, 
Your sins are actually sent away. God lets them go. As far as the east is from the west, God jettisons them away. The easiest way for me to remember is the word Nassau sounds to me like Nassau. And when I think about Nassau, I think about rockets taking off and leaving this world. And I'm telling you that what God does with your sin is he virtually, literally puts them on a rocket and sends them out of this world. Your sins are gone. But there's more. Then he says, and not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We are purified. He removes the defilement of your sin. What does that mean? He takes away the stain of your sin. So that not only is your sin sent away, let go, but there is no remnant left. There is no reminder for God at all. The stain, the defilement that sin brought on your life is now completely cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've often been in discussions with people who say, well, how good do you have to be for God to accept you? How good is good enough? Because we're used to, you know, bringing home report cards to our parents, and you bring home a 90%, you're probably going to get some congratulations at home. So what do you think God's good with? 90%? 95? Anybody going there? It's good with 95%? It's good with 99%. What's the score you need to be good? 99.9? That'd be good enough? God requires 100% purity, 100% righteousness. How can any of us, how can any of us present that to God? Well, in our, our, of ourselves, we cannot. But Jesus Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for us, has cleansed us from all unrighteousness so that God not only has sent your sin away, but he can't even see the vestiges, the stain. How would I illustrate this? Well, let's say I had a glass of Pepsi or Coke since I'm not getting any any benefit from mentioning a trade name or root beer for that matter. Let's say my wife and I were having a very vigorous conversation that crossed the line from vigor to anger. This is not a true story, by the way. And I had a glass sitting of Coke or Pepsi sitting on her favorite white tablecloth. And in the vigor, the Pepsi or the Coke ended up being spilled all over the nice white tablecloth. And she takes that tablecloth and puts it in the washing machine and the stain won't come out. Now every time you put that tablecloth out, It's a memory of a bad event because you see the stain. What Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, if we confess our sins, is that tablecloth is as pure as the day it was made. 
There is no memory of your sin. You are perfectly cleansed from your sin. So, we have believers in our lives, and maybe you, maybe, maybe someone you know, who are constantly living with the shame and the guilt of past sins that have been forgiven by God. It interrupts their fellowship with the Father. It gets in the way of their fellowship with one another. It continues to dog them and they can't enjoy a victorious life in Christ because they're always being dragged back to remember, remember that. God could never forgive you of that. God hasn't forgiven you of that. God keeps remembering that. No, you keep remembering it. God doesn't keep remembering it. God forgives you so completely that he does no longer sees that sin, no longer thinks about that sin, and views you as righteous in his son. That's the glory of this forgiveness that Jesus has offered to us. This is unbelievable. But I, so I don't know who you are. I don't know who's watching. I'm not sure who's in the audience today. But listen, if you've never embraced or, or come to faith in Christ and have received this forgiveness, then it is available to you. You must choose God or your sin. You can't have both. And regardless of how you have dismantled the truth and tried to convince yourself otherwise, God holds you totally responsible for every single sin in your life and every day you're piling upon yourself sin upon sin upon sin until you go to your grave burdened with every sin you've ever committed and you will be damned to hell for your sin. But if you will receive Christ as your sin offering on your behalf who's paid the debt of your sin and God forgives you and he doesn't see your sin anymore nor the stain of your sin. He purifies you and makes you eligible to be in fellowship with God the Father. So let, let me conclude with this and a couple of questions. What are you still holding on to in your life that God has already forgiven that is just harming you day in and day out? What stain keeps you burdened that God doesn't even see because he's purified it? Why do you keep looking at it? You know, the humanists would tell you, well, you know what the solution, you know what the problem in your life is? You haven't forgiven yourself. That's your problem. That's not your problem. We can't forgive ourselves. We didn't sin against ourselves. We sinned against God. David said, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. That's psychology gobbledygook. The issue is whether or not you will trust this promise. It's not about forgiving yourself. It's about trusting that God has forgiven you. And he's really forgiven you. And he's purified you and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't see anything anymore. The sweeping implications of that. Some of you are carrying around the burden of that and it's weighing you down. 
And you need to be released. You need to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the truth about forgiveness. Your guilt and shame should be gone. It must be. On your way in, you were handed a piece of paper this morning. I'm calling it a paper scapegoat. And I'm calling it, I'm calling it that because this particular theological concept was so well illustrated in the Old Testament, we're going to illustrate it in an updated ver version right now. In the Old Testament, the high priest once a year would bring a goat into the community and he would take ceremonially the sins of the people who confessed their sins and he would lay the sins upon the scapegoat and the goat would be sent out of the community symbolizing the forgiveness of God which is complete. Jesus Christ became our scapegoat at Calvary. Our sins were laid on him who was crucified on the outside of the city for us so that our sins would be sent away and our lives would be cleansed before God. On that piece of paper, some of you may need to write down a sin that's been dogging you out of your past or whatever that you asked for forgiveness a long time ago, but it keeps coming up. You keep being reminded of it. It keeps killing your victory in the Lord. You need to write that on that piece of paper today, the sin or even the stain that still dogs you, that you are keeping alive or that the enemy of our souls is keeping alive by continuing to remind you of it because he's the accuser of the brethren or somebody else is reminding you of it you need to write it down that piece of paper because it's a paper scapegoat and you need to crumple that paper up after you've done that and people are going to come down and collect those crumpled up pieces of paper and we're going to do with them what God does with it we're going to destroy it it's gone. We're going to send it off so that it dogs you no longer. Father, thank you so much for your, your truth and what you have promised to us and this, this amazing promise of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that what you say you mean, what Jesus has done works for us. Father, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. How sweeping is this salvation that we have received? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary has secured for us that our debts to God have been paid. That our sins confessed are sent away and the stain that sins bring is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ so that God sees it no more and that's why Jesus said to us the truth 
will set you free. This truth, the truth of the gospel, truly, truly sets us free, unburdens us by sending the sins away. We no longer have to worry about our future. By removing the stain of the sins of our past, we no, no longer have to worry about our past. We're truly free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we couldn't possibly thank you enough. But allow this gathering of your people and the gathering around the communion table be our offering to you of our thanksgiving and our trust and belief. And now, Lord, I pray for all of those, all of us, who have allowed false ideas or our own memories or the evil one to cause us to live with less than we have. May this truth, may your truth, may your gift, your gracious gift of faith to believe, secure our victory that we might walk in newness with you. Sins sent away, let go. Stains no more free to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with God and with one another, I pray. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen.